I want to just quickly summarize a little bit about what we've been talking about from Romans 1 to 4. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Rome because there was uh, the early Christians or the Jewish Christians who were mixing this message of Jesus with the law. And so out of that, there was a lot of confusion. I remember when I came to the Lord, it was, um, I mean, I'm not going to give you my testimony, but the experience was quite different because before I received Jesus, everybody left me alone. Does it sound familiar? It was pretty good. I mean, like, they left me alone in a sense like, oh, you know, young, come to youth group with us, and oh, it doesn't matter if you're late, it doesn't matter how you dress, you know, it doesn't matter if you showered or not, just come on, just come to the youth group on Friday, and, and that's how it was, and the experience was amazing, and the love that I felt from the youth, this is like decades ago, oh boy, and it was amazing, and so when I gave my heart to Jesus, I started going to church, on Sundays, and I remembered it was as if life changed, and it did, in a good way, but the way people treated me was a little different. You know, I, would, I was expecting, okay, well, you know, now I'm a part of the family, things are going to be good, but you know, sometimes when you become a part of the family, the treatment's a little different, and so people began to come to me and say, hey, now you're a believer, you need to start reading you know, let's, let's, you're a new Christian, so let's read from uh, the Road to Romans, or let's read John and the Gospel. Start with John and, and read five chapters a night, and then when you're done that, uh, uh, say your prayers for another 20 minutes, and then, oh, by the way, don't forget to bring money, because when you come to church on Sunday, you got to start giving money. And I was like, what? You, you guys were nicer to me before I was a Christian. Where did all these rules come from? Before I, started, before I became a believer, I could come dress any way I want. And now that I'm a believer, I had the youth leader, I had the deacons, I had the, the, the youth pastor. They're like, okay, you got to start dressing like this because you're a Christian. And we're going to train you to be a leader because you got potential. And I was like, I want to go back to my old life. <laughs> and so... This was the experience that, that why Paul had to begin to write this letter to Rome, uh, the church in Rome, because you had these new believers who heard this message, this good news of Jesus, and then you had these, the, the Jewish Christians who also heard the message and received it, but they were having troubles letting go of their customs. They are having trouble letting go of their, their, um, their religious beliefs. And so they began to say, okay, it is not just by faith that you've been saved, but it is by works too. It's a mixture. So you have to have the faith, but while you're having the faith, remember to keep these commandments. Remember to do this. Remember to do that. Remember to do that. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. We got to fix that. So this is where he goes into Romans 5, okay? So I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, since we have been justified... That word justified, very simple. It means we've been acquitted and declared righteous, or we've been acquitted and declared in right standing with God. It's, God it's as if God's the judge, and we've been brought before him, and we're trying to make a case, and he says, stop. You're free to go. What? 
Okay, in the first service I used car example, but how many of you like to go shopping? Just in general. Come on. Yeah. I love shopping. To me, shopping is, like, even if I don't buy anything, it's just, it's very therapeutic. Just walking around and just eyeing things out. But anyways, now, there are some things, like, you buy, you don't have to really negotiate or get details about. Like, if you're going to go buy lunch today, you don't really have to think about that. You're just like, hmm, right? But there are other purchases, for example, a house or a car, where you want a little more information about. And so, if Paul were a sales associate, you know, chapter 3 of Romans, he was, uh, he was telling you what the goods are. What this justification by faith is. You know, and then he goes into how, how do we obtain it? And then now in chapter 5, he's going to get into a little bit of the benefits. You like benefits? Yeah, yeah see? You don't want to buy something that gives you no benefit, right? You don't want to get into anything that makes your life worse than before. You want something that gives you benefits. So he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is a benefit. Now, when you and I use our English to think of peace, we think of what? Calmness. We think of serenity. There you go. Tranquility. Um, we think of just lying on a sandy beach and not having to have a worry in the world, right? It's a pretty good life. When I was younger, I used, I have, well, I, don't, I still have a twin brother, and we used to fight a lot. We used to fight a lot. And so um, my, my, my parents, were, we were just driving them crazy. And so they would, what would parents usually do? They would say, go to your room. And the only problem was that my twin and I shared the same room. And so we would go to the room, we would continue our fighting there, and then, but I, I remember I can hear my parents in Cantonese, they were saying, okay, finally, there's some peace in, in the house. And, but the interesting part is, yes, there was peace in the sense that there was silence. But this word that Paul uses for peace comes, we're going to get into a little Greek here, comes from a Greek word, Irene. And that word, it does encompass tranquility. It does encompass calmness, a, a sense of calmness. But there's also another meaning to it. And that means to rejoin or band together that which has been broken or separated. And when you put that into context here, what Paul's saying is, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we, are, we have peace. We are now rejoined with God. There is no more separation. Isn't that amazing? That separation took place where? In the garden. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, a separation between God and man occurred, where literally Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. But now, through the finished work of Jesus, we are brought back together. And we have peace. Amen? So, it's not just God is not angry with you. That is true. God is not angry with you. As a believer, there's no, and we'll see later on, we have access to grace by faith. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. If you're a believer this morning, you're standing in grace. Yeah? 
If you're a believer, you're staying here. Now, the problem that most believers have is that our thinking, or we've been taught, or whatever it may be, is that that grace stopped or it, it finished when we received Jesus. It was only available at salvation. But that's not true. That grace is available for everyday living. It is available for you right now. It is available to carry you through every single day of your life. You know, I remember in some of the staff meetings, we talked about the, the grace of God and how in our younger days, even as a, a staff, we would make mistakes, right? And, and we're not too proud to admit we made mistakes. But imagine if the grace of God wasn't available. Where would we be right now? So that grace is available to you. He says here, rejoice in verse uh, 3. Rejoice in suffering. There's a big difference. Just one word changes that a lot. Don't be praying to God to say, Lord, bring your worst upon my life. I can handle it. But we rejoice in our suffering. Some of us even sitting here this morning, have things that we're going through in life. That song we sang just now, uh, God is so good. Like, I was thinking about that while we're singing it. Declare it. You know, that, that part in the bridge here, I am, I am blessed. That's a promise of God. I am called. I am healed. I am whole. You know, I am made, uh, I have power in Jesus' name, right? If you are ever suffering... You can, have, you can rejoice knowing that you have hope in Jesus. Amen. Now verse 6 to 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time. Say at the right time. At the right time. Everything that God does is not accidental. It's always at the right time. Christ died for the godly. No. <laughs> Christ died for the ungodly. This echoes what Jesus was saying. I didn't come for the healed. I came for the sick. For one will scarcely, scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person one would even die. But God shows his love for, that, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, you don't have to answer this, but think about how many of us would sit here and take a bullet for somebody? Just, you know, you might psych yourself up enough, maybe, right? But most of us here, if not all of us here, would probably would not do that. And yet, G, uh, Paul is saying here that Jesus said, even at your worst. See, we usually like to do things for people when they're at their best. True? Right? We, 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 we like to celebrate. And there's nothing wrong with that. We like to invite our bestest friends to go and celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and even today have lunch with us, right? Usually we don't think about, well, hmm, let me go and invite my enemy to come have lunch with me. And yet, Jesus is saying here, even while we were at our worst, while we were his enemies, he did his best for us. Hallelujah. So, since therefore, verse 9, we have now been justified, remember, acquitted and declared righteous, by his blood. 
much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while if we were enemies, we were brought together, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. How are we, how are we saved? Is it through the death of Christ or the life of Christ? It's not a trick question. <laughs> but if you read this, it might seem like it is. Because we are, we are saved uh, through the grace of God by our faith in, in his work on the cross. But here it actually says, we shall be saved by his life. And it's really interesting because if, again, if you go into the, the Greek word for that word saved, it's sozo. And the sozo life isn't just about salvation. It encompasses more than salvation. If, it, if salvation was the end deal, we would actually all not be here right now. True? Yes? Right? And yet we are still here on earth. And it's because Jesus wants us to not just have salvation, but to have a fullness of life. Right? You should, you and I, ought to live life to its fullest. As a believer, I don't, you know, I don't, it, you don't have to be the wealthiest person. You don't have to be the prettiest person that helps, right? But for sure, we as believers should be enjoying life. Enjoying life. It shouldn't be every day waking up like Eeyore. Eeyore, a dark cloud hang over your head, right? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through Adam and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So if you keep on reading here from verse 13 all the way to, I believe, verse 18, Paul sort of like digressed. He didn't sort of. He actually did digress. He didn't even finish that thought. And so in verse 13, 14, he goes on to this history about sin and how Adam is a type of him who is to come which is Jesus. And then in verse 15, this is, I love this part. He talks about the free gift. Remember, Paul is writing to the church here in Rome, and, and I imagine as he's writing this, he was very frustrated because he'd given this message about uh, the good news about grace and how we don't need to work for our salvation. It's already been done, right? And it's free. And yet, People are still saying, you got to work for it, you got to work for it. So in this section here, he actually, at least in this translation, he uses the term free gift five times. He said, it's a free gift. 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 He couldn't make it any more clear. You know, back in, on Canada Day, um, the Mandarin restaurant had a free lunch. How many of you went? Nobody? All right. Well, they had a free lunch. You had to be a Canadian, but it, they still ended up giving free lunches to everybody who lined up. The thing is, and I was watching this on the news, you had to, people were lining up at 5 a.m. <laughs> and the doors didn't open until 12 o'clock noon. And so it tells you 
how much people like free things, right? If I said to you, the best things in life are, the best things in life are free. Who here likes freebies? What? <laughs> the rest of you are just too shy to raise your hand. <laughs> Sometimes we get freebies and it doesn't live up to our expectations. And so when that happens, our friends and families will tell us, you get what you pay for, right? You know, you rub it into their face. I just got a free trip to Hawaii. You come back, you said you had to live, you know, in someone's backyard for the whole trip. They like, ha, 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 you get what you pay for, right? If that ever happens to you, you know, just be reminded of this, that the best gift, not gifts, singular, the best gift in life is really free. It is a free gift, and you don't have to work for it. I know this is very shocking to a lot of people, because we've grown up in church, or we've had someone tell us that you got to be a good Christian soldier, which is true, but you got to work for your salvation. You got to work for it. You got to work for it. But you don't. It is a free gift. Amen? All right. And then so if you jump to verse 18, Paul finishes his thought that he started in 12. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, let me explain it really quickly here. We are descendants of Adam. Would you agree? We are not descendants of Caesar from Planet of the Apes. Okay? We are descendants of Adam. And because Adam disobeyed and sinned, we took on that sinful nature. We were born with that sinful nature. We had no choice or say in the matter. And so when, when Adam sinned, um, that we became a part of that. And by becoming a believer, becoming a part of Jesus, we also partake in what Jesus did. And what did he do? He says, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Amen? Amen. Verse 20. Now the law, this will set up chapter 6. The law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. Hallelujah. Where sin increased. What Paul is saying here is that um, when, there, when, when sin actually is increasing in our world, in our culture, there is a corresponding work of God's grace that not only meets this sin, but it actually overflows. It actually goes beyond. It abounds. Hallelujah. Now, you go to chapter 6, so think about that. Paul's saying here, where sin increased, grace abounded more. So Paul's a smart guy, because he knows that, okay, if I write this, people are going to be thinking, and they probably already are thinking this. They're saying, wait a minute. Paul, are you saying that if, if I sin more, there's more grace available for me? 
Are you saying that, well, you know what? Since God here loves to forgive sins so much, maybe I should give him more work to do. And Paul says, heck no. He emphatically says no. He says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Daniel, can you show that cartoon, please? Check this out. Paul here says, how can we who are dead to sin? You know, the grace message has become, uh, if it's misunderstood, if, if, if people are not getting it, it actually becomes almost a license to sin for people who don't understand it. They think, well, you know, there's all this grace, so I should just sin more. Uh, I don't have to get into a life of holy living. And Paul's saying, no, you are dead to sin. So how are you dead to sin? We're going to go back to math class, okay? And I actually confirmed this with, you know, after the first service, there was a teacher sitting here, and she's like, I'm a math teacher. And she's like, and she's like I confirmed what you said. So I was like, okay, here we go. In math, there's something called the transitive uh, theory of equality, right? I didn't know that. I Googled it. But what I did know was this, and you will know this too, okay? If... A equals B, and B equals C, therefore A equals... Have you heard of that before? Yes, right? True or not? So, how are we dead to sin? Okay, I'm going to use a mathematical formula to show you. Can we go to verse 8? Now, if we have died with Christ, there's your A, we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And here comes the B, verse 10. For... Sorry, this is the C. For the death he died, he died to sin. So we died to Christ. Christ died to sin. You get it now? And so we are dead to sin. Paul's message actually in, in Romans, in the first few chapters, is to show us that uh, we have moved from a position of being dead in sin to dead to sin. The work of the cross not only took care of the penalty over us, but it took care of the power over us as well. Do you get that? It dealt with the penalty that is declared over us, but it also now has dealt with the power over us. And so you ask, well, why do I still sin? Come back next week. <laughs> we'll get into that. I don't want to steal the thunder of... See, I've read the whole Romans and studying this, right? Okay, and then verse uh, 14, Paul writes, For sin will no, have no dominion, it will not be a master. Remember Jesus talked about you cannot serve two masters, right? Either you serve, he was talking about 
money, of course, in that sense. But there are some things that in the Bible, it's, it's a universal truth. It doesn't just apply to just that one part in context. So it's true that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money or God. You can't serve sin or God. You can't serve, you, you know, you can't be a slave to your job. Oh. <laughs> Silence. You can only have one master. Who, that doesn't mean you can't have a job, but you can only have one master. Who's your master? So what then are we, oh, he says 15, um, so we're now not under the law, but we're under grace. So what then, here's Paul asking the question again, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but we are under grace? No. We are not to, it, it goes back to what we said, you are dead to sin. When you receive Jesus, that, that nature in you is dead to it. Now, again, yes, as believers, we still are working through issues and we're still uh, going through a process in our daily living. But our nature is not to want to go and sin. Amen? And he says, if you sin, or if you continue to live in this nature, this is what's going to happen. In verse uh, uh, 16, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? What Paul is saying here is that we are no longer under sin's power. We are not slaves to sin. We are dead to uh, 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 slavery. If you know anything about slavery, A, slavery, slaves don't have a choice, do they? And most of the time, the only way to be set free as a slave is to die. I mean, if you're dead, no one can have any control over you. And Paul's saying here is, do, now that you've been set free, you, this has been done for you, not you and I doing it. It's been done for you. Do not go and walk yourself back into slavery. It's possible. Even in Galatians, Paul was talking to the church there saying, you know, do not be enslaved to that yoke of bondage again. Don't get yourself into slavery again. You're free. You're free. And then he talks about um, um, you know, sin, again, going back to Adam and Eve, sin brings shame. It brings fear. It brings uh, separation. So he talks about the shame part. And then finally, I'll wrap up with this. He says, sin brings forth death. And you know this verse. For the wages of sin, in verse 23, Romans, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift, there's that free gift again, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? But in Romans 5.17, it actually says Christ has made us free so that we would reign as kings. Right? We are free. And therefore, we uh, do not need to live in this mindset of being enslaved to sin. The wages of sin is death. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to die for your sins? my sins? Why couldn't he 
pick another punishment, right? Why did it have to be death? Well, here you go. In, uh, God demands atonement for sins, right? And here, remember we talked about Jesus became sin. You know, in, in Ephesians it says, he who knew no sin actually became sin. And here Paul saying in Romans that sin, there's only one way to take care of it. It's by death. And so it, it's not just talking, like I used to read this, and I mean, we're probably in the same boat. You know, uh, people growing up and, and, and telling us, yes, your sins will bring forth death. The wages of sin is death. That's very true. But also now I have a new understanding that Jesus had to die to satisfy this, this requirement of, of satisfying, um, covering for sins. It was no different to Jesus than it is to us. Amen?